following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. It's an exciting day, maybe. We're uh, on the last, the last message out of Hebrews. And it's actually a kind of an exciting day for me because in the last two series that we've done on Exodus and on Luke, I happened to miss the last, like, several sermons. So I wasn't able to actually finish the race. Um, so I'm thankful that I get to finish this one. Uh, so we're going to re- be reading in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25, um, if you want to follow along. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good, with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers... Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Um, couple uh, identifying marks in this final conclusion that are uh, interesting is that he, he, the author here, identifies it as a, oh, my French turned on. Sorry. Okay, there we go. Um, all this technical stuff, too many buttons and switches, I can't remember all. Uh, he uh, identifies this as a sermon. And we've talked about it throughout. It's not just in a letter or an epistle like Paul wrote, but the author of this actually sent them uh, kind of the first podcast, if you will, um, sermon that was read. And I love how he says, you know, bear with my exhortation, my sermon. My word of exhortation means sermon, uh, for I have uh, written to you briefly. It's taken us almost a whole year to get through it. I'm glad he didn't write something long, right? Um, but brief, it was, uh, if you read it, if we were to sit and this morning read through the book of Hebrews, it could be delivered in a little under an hour, so kind of good preaching time. Um, and uh, he comes to the end and he finishes with this last word, it's essentially a short prayer. And as with all of the uh, content, really, of the book, it, he may have written in many ways very briefly, but in each word there are whole sermons. And that kind of is true with his prayer. His prayer is actually verses 20 and 21, a few short lines. But in it is, uh, I could actually have preached three more sermons, but I spare you that. So, um, uh, But let's look at what he talks about. And the, the heart of what he's preaching here, he says, may, may the God of peace equip you with every good thing, everything good, for doing God's will. And he doesn't want this to come down to just being nice theology that you go home with and we're like, well, that was nice. Uh, he, he wants us to put it into practice. He wants us to be doing God's will. And his prayer is that God would equip them, would supply what they need, so they can put these things into practice. They can do God's will. And oftentimes I'm asked, you know, uh, counseling with people and talking with people, how do you know God's will? 
Have any of you ever wrestled with that? Big decision coming up and uh, wanting to know uh, what God wants you to do. And I really believe that's one of the great marks of being a true follower of Christ. Uh, When Jesus comes into our life and the Holy Spirit invades us and we have a new heart, one of the things that should be true of us is we should be interested and concerned in God's purpose and will. We have this sense that God is a God of mission and purpose and that he has something for us to do. Uh, That we have now been caught up into God's grand design for all of time and history. And there is a purpose, there is a will uh, that God has for us. And so we're not free to live our own life. We're not free to make our own choices. And so when we come to some of those big crossroads in life, oftentimes we feel this pressure or this sense that I want to know that I'm choosing what is in God's will. And so that's what he prays for. And we'll look at how um, this kind of instructs us how we can know we're in God's will. And one of the questions we often have is, how do I know God's will? How do I know that I'm walking in the things he has for me and that I'm accomplishing his purpose. So we'll look at, look at that. Um, uh, and it's interesting that he does it here as a prayer. And so we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. Uh, how do we know? How can we be confident that our life is, is in God's will? And in, in the context of the book of, of Hebrews, he talks a lot about running the race, about uh, focusing on the finish. And in uh, Hebrews 11, he talks about faith being the conviction of things hoped for the proof or evidence of things not seen. And and throughout the book, he has this very forward focus of faith, that we are not looking just at our here and now life, but we're looking towards the the finish line. And we have the sense that it's important to walk in God's will because it has long-term eternal consequences. If we get it wrong here, it, it affects how we live in eternity. And so we, we kind of want to get this right. So he prays for that for them uh, as, as the conclusion of his sermon. So let's look at how we can know we're in God's will and how we can have some confidence about what God's will is for us. He starts off by saying, uh, praying. It's really, and again, it is a prayer. He says, and it doesn't really say, I pray, but it is a prayer. He says, may... Now may, and that's what kind of cues us in that it's a prayer, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the covenant. So before he gets to the main request, which is in verse 21, he gives this very long um, list of kind of preconditions. And he's describing who God is. And he describes him, first of all, as, as the God of peace. Uh, I love that depiction of God. And we think of God in many ways. Certainly God is a God of compassion. God is a God of love. God is a a God of holiness and righteousness and uh, truth. But he's also a God of peace. And what that means is that God in his inner being is a God who is, first of all, at peace with himself. As As the triune God, the one being who exists in three distinct persons... Never in all of eternity did the Father and the Son not live together in perfect peace. Right? Not even once did they get up and it's like, oh, you burnt the toast. Right? Or, um, what were you thinking? Right? There was never an incident or a moment when there was anything but peace in their relationship. God is at peace within himself. Uh, God never had to go to the drugstore and get some sedatives to calm his nerves because he was stressed. Right? God is in himself continually always 
at peace with himself, in a state of calm and rest, that things are okay, right? And even though the world uh, sometimes to us seems to be spinning out of control, God is never worried about it, right? Because he's sovereign and he's powerful and, and he is at peace with himself. And he's also at peace with all that he's created. Right? God is a God who created a universe and a world and a, and a creation in which God enters and in his intention, his will, is to be at peace and in a peaceful relationship with everything he's made. Now, of course, we know that our world is not peaceful. Right? We look around and we look at the news and we see all around us growing unrest and growing wars and growing hatred. And uh, it just boggles my mind. I'm from the United States, and, and I don't live there. I've lived there for 16 years, and I look from a distance at that country, and I just don't get it anymore. Because people are, like, just really angry, and there's just a lot of not peace, right? People are not living in harmony by any means. Uh, but that's the, we, we know that's the, the effect of sin, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought into a world that is no longer at peace with God. God's intention is to be at peace with his creation. But sin has wrecked that. And sin has given us a nature that is inherently against God and that is hostile to God. And so we're no longer at peace with God. But of course, the good news uh, is that, as he says in the next verse, that uh, God is a God of peace, but he's also a God who uh, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus and again, the author of Hebrews has this way of taking five words and packing them with a whole book full of knowledge here, right? Um, what he means, he brought Jesus up from the dead. First of all, that Jesus did die, that God sent his son into the world as the cure and the solution for the lack of peace between man and God. And Jesus is the one who brought peace through his, through his death, through his sacrifice. And that Jesus, the God, the Father, is the one who brought him up from the dead. Uh, that phrase, uh, to bring up or lead out from the dead, uh, is a really strange way of wording this. And it's, in fact, it's the first time in the entire book of Hebrews that the author mentions at all the resurrection. Uh, his focus has been, and it's not that he hasn't talked about Jesus as the resurrected Lord, but the focus has always been on Jesus' ascension. And that's because his main text, if you remember, his main text for this sermon was Psalms 110, where it talks about Jesus being at the right hand of God. So his focus has always been through the book on the ascended Jesus who reigns and rules at God's right hand. But here, he uses this strange phrase that God brought him up from the dead. Not resurrected him, not raised him up, but literally led him up from the, the depths of the grave to the heights of, of heaven. Uh, and it's a strange phrase, and uh, for those who are way smarter than I am, uh, connected this with Isaiah 63.11. Isaiah 63, uh, and the context of Isaiah 63 is this. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who, who brought them up? And there's that word, who led them up, who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock. And as we'll see, the next phrase talks about Jesus, the great shepherd, in Hebrews 13. Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Uh, so it's a picture here of God's work uh, in the Old Testament of redeeming Israel by bringing them up from the depths of slavery to the promised land. Right? Uh, and Moses is the one who brought them up out of the, out of the, the Dead Sea 
right? When, when they walked through the Dead Sea and they were brought up, they were led up. And it's really a picture of God's saving, redeeming work. And so uh, it says that God brought up Jesus from the dead. Uh, and, and there's a sense in which God saved Jesus. And we'll talk about a little bit about the theology of how this works. Not because Jesus uh, had sin, but he did die. Right? He did suffer the curse, the full curse of sin, which meant that he physically, in his body, died on the cross and was buried in the tomb. And God brought him up from the dead and, and in that sense, saved Jesus. He restored Jesus to his rightful place as the resurrected Lord, not only as the eternal Son of God, but the incarnate Son who now has life and who reigns with Jesus, at his, with God at his right hand. Um, and this really links with the next phrase, which is that he raised him up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And remember in, in Isaiah, he uses that same phrase, the shepherd of the flock. And Jesus has been raised as our shepherd. And in this context of bringing up, it's this picture of Jesus leading us but he's not just leading us uh, around. He's not just leading us kind of on a journey. Uh, but he's really leading us up as well. Right? It's this picture of Jesus leading us up from death to life. And we look at these words in the context of Hebrews. If you've been with us through this study, you know that the main point of the book is that Jesus' death was not only to forgive us for sins, but through his death we have access into what? 7-Eleven. No, right? Access into what? Into the Holy of Holies. Right? We now have access into the very presence of God. And so uh, the author is putting all these pictures together in this powerful image of Jesus as the great shepherd, not just any shepherd, the great shepherd, the supreme and ultimate shepherd, who is leading us up from our captivity to sin and death and bondage under the slavery of sin, into God's presence, into the holy place. And this isn't something that we look forward to when we die, although we do, but it's something we can experience here and now. And, and that's really what, what he talked about when he said we need to press on to maturity. Or we are to be a people who are growing deeper and deeper into this uh, reality and the experience of living life fully in God's presence. Uh, I don't know how you would measure this or how you would tell, but I hope that after the studying through Hebrews, uh, there's more of a sense in your life of living life in God's presence and with Him. That we dwell in God's presence and we come unhindered uh, before God moment by moment, day by day. And we live there. We live in His presence with His power, with His help and His strength. Uh, that no longer is God distant from us, but he is right in the middle of us. His spirit is now, as, as it says in Isaiah, right in the midst of us. So we're in his holy temple. And so that's been a huge focus of the book. And, and this picture of Jesus, the great shepherd, leading us up is a picture of that. Uh, and it helps us really understand one of the first important principles about what God's will is. God's will, if it is anything, is this. That we are being led by the shepherd more and more and more into the experience of of life in God's presence. And if we picture God's will kind of apart from that, we're really missing the depth and intent of what God's will is. Unfortunately for us, oftentimes God's will becomes a big deal when we have some major life decision to make, right? 
what career path to follow. Uh, if you're a missionary, you think about, you know, what country or what people group is God calling me to? Because I don't want to go to the wrong people group. Uh, you know, what if, what if God's gifted me and given me the capacity to learn Thai and I end up, end up in China? <laughs> it's not going to work. Maybe we think that. Um, so, so we want to know where God's sending us. So we think about these big life decisions. Uh, but really, God's will at the most fundamental level... It's not so much about those big life decisions as it is about today moving and being led by Jesus to live life more and more uh, in God's presence okay? uh, before him, doing life before him. Um, and lastly, he says, and, and this, this, um, this really, when I read this, this actually kind of blew me away and I thought, wait, I can't be really understanding this right. There's, I must be misunderstanding. But notice what the last phrase of verse, 21, t- verse 20 says. Okay, so the God of peace who brought up again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. By the blood of the eternal covenant. So we just celebrated the Lord's Supper. We know the cup represents Jesus' blood. And by that blood, Jesus says that he, he instituted a new covenant, a new way to have relationship with God. And it is an eternal covenant. The old covenant was not eternal, right? It, 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 it passed away. It's no longer in effect. And that was part of the argument of the book to these Jewish people who were trying to go back to the old covenant. He said, we have a, a permanent, now eternal covenant that will never change. There will never be another program by which people are saved. In the Old Testament, they brought animals and sacrifices. But Jesus was the full and complete fulfillment of all the Old Testament. So it's eternal will never change. There will never be another way of salvation apart from faith in the blood of Jesus. And so it's a new covenant, a new basis. Uh, but he says, he, say, he, he throws at the beginning of that phrase, by, by the eternal covenant. Okay, something is done, something is accomplished by the blood of the eternal covenant. Well, the question is, what is accomplished? Does it refer to the preceding phrase, uh, Jesus, the great shepherd who, who's leading us up by the blood of the covenant. Or does it refer to Jesus being led up from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant? Well, it actually relates to the first phrase, right? preeminently to the first phrase. And so here's, here's what he's saying here. This is what kind of blew my brain. It had, I had to like, I had, I had a panic moment, right? What he's saying here is that the, Jesus was raised from the dead by means of his own blood that was shed on the cross and that instituted an eternal covenant. Um, Remember I said that Jesus, in a sense, needed saving. And again, not because he sinned, not because he personally needed forgiveness. But when Jesus came uh, from heaven to earth and he took on human flesh, he took on human flesh that was under the curse and judgment of sin and death. Through Adam, all flesh, all humanity was cursed with death. And so when Jesus took on human flesh, he took on himself that curse. Uh, his body uh, would not live forever. And, and, and the cross proved that. Right? He was not immune to death. When they nailed him to the cross, he didn't keep on living. But his body, like all other human bodies, was under the curse of death. Which, by the way, was not the original intent of creation. 
I don't know how this would have worked in Genesis if it had something to do with the tree of life or just something different, but uh, we were not created for death. Right? Death was something that was introduced into our world and into our existence through sin. And with that curse, uh, the curse of Adam, Jesus took on that himself. And so when Jesus died, he fell under the curse of sin, uh, not, not his own, but, but the curse of, uh, of death on human flesh. And so how would Jesus himself be saved? On what basis would God give him new life and resurrect him, lead him up from the dead? Well, it was on the basis of Jesus' very own blood. Right? His life was lived perfectly. And Jesus, in every way, fulfilled, per- fulfilled perfectly God's will. He, he was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And so his, his life laid down, his sacrifice was fully atoning. And it was the means. And his blood was taken into the holy place in heaven, the writer of Hebrews told us. And there he wrote a new covenant in his blood. And a new covenant that brings salvation to us. And it is by that blood, as he says, that Jesus himself was raised up from the dead. And this is great news for us because it really, it, it, it's... It's the basis of our salvation. If it worked on Jesus, it works on us. Right? And as his children, as joint heirs with Christ, we have the hope and the promise that we too will experience the same exact resurrection. Uh, we just have to wait longer. Yeah. Now, now, we could be lucky enough to be like Jesus and be at the very end and you know, we die and three days later the rapture comes. You know? um, actually, kind of bad news. We'd be like, why couldn't we wait three days and skip the whole dying part, right? Uh, but uh, regardless... It's the same end result, right? We will be raised again. We will be brought up from the dead uh, through the blood of Jesus. And, and Jesus is the proof that his blood worked, that it was sufficient, that it satisfied uh, all the requirements of justice. Uh, and, and so Jesus overcame the curse of death and was raised to new life. And so will be for us. Uh, so, so this verse really kind of lays the foundation of doing God's will. So we could summarize it this way, that doing God's will is, first of all, something that's only possible because of what God did according to his will for us in Jesus. Right? Nobody apart from the work of Christ, apart from faith in his blood and, and the power of the resurrection, even has an interest in doing God's will. As I said, the only reason it's 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 interesting to us or even a thing that we would desire is because God has already done this work in Christ for us. And, and so he's given us a new heart. We're part of a new covenant. We, are a benef- uh, we, we receive the benefit of his blood. And, and as a result, God's will now is something that we, we pursue. And if we don't, it's a mark that we've somehow miss the main point that we perhaps are not truly followers of Christ because to be a follower of Christ means that inherently at least we want to do God's will of course we all know that wanting to do God's will and actually achieving it are oftentimes not the same but for us as followers of Christ there should at least be the wanting the desiring to do his will Uh, and I think that's true Uh, if if we reflect on our life we, we see that Um, So then he shifts from that and he talks about how this will is going to be done. And it's important here to see that this is done as a prayer. Uh, I think it's also a promise. I think he prays for things that we can have 
conviction that these things are true. But it's significant that we pray for these things. And I think in our own life, it's, it gives us, he gives us some guidelines here of how we can pray God's will into our own daily life. Uh, and it's not so much praying about specific decisions, but it's praying about God's resources that he's made available for us to guarantee that we are doing his will. And he lists several things that God's given us and done for us to help us walk in his will. So let's look at those. First, first of all, he says, uh, May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Uh, the first thing that God does for us is he, uh, we, we do God's will by God's provision. Right? He equips us. He provides what we need. He provides it by giving us everything good. Uh, and I love the word equip here. It, it has the idea uh, to outfit something. Uh, not, not, not outfit necessarily meaning as in like your outfit that you wore to church, although that's kind of the same word. But it was probably uh, a word that was used for a soldier back in, in that day uh, of how they were outfitted with the gear and equipment they needed to be successful in battle. Uh, some of you have been in the military, and so you, you know what this looks like. Uh, when you're going on a, a mission, uh, you're, you're given gear. And they, uh, somebody, some general way up there, he thinks through the gear he thinks you need to be outfitted well for the, the, the mission that you're on. Uh, many of us have not been soldiers, so for us, maybe we can think more in terms of outfitting ourselves for a vacation or a trip. Like how many of you, before you go on a trip or a vacation, like, like write a list of everything you're going to take? Anybody do that? Um, I always think after I've gone on the trip and forgot 15 things, oh, I should have made a list. That's, that's how I am. Um, and actually, uh, back, back many years ago, I used to lead backpack trips up into the wilderness. And uh, then I did write lists, right? I would write very thorough and careful lists. And every year after I finished the trips, after the summer, I would review my list and I would add to it things that I thought, you know, it would have been really helpful to have that. And here's why. Because when you hike several days off into the wilderness and you're, you're days and days away from like a 7-Eleven or, you know, a grocery store, you really don't want to forget things. Like the worst thing, not that this has ever happened to me, but the worst thing that can happen is that you whip up your pancakes for breakfast and you get your fire all crackling and the coals just right. And you put your grill on there ready to make some like really yummy outdoor cooked pancakes, right? And you whip it all up. And just then you, you, you're getting ready to pour it in the, in the griddle and you remember and realize that you forgot cooking oil and a spatula. Not that I've ever done that. Right? And because uh, you're like not going back to, to Walmart to get, you know, a spatula. And, and do you know what, what happens when you make pancakes and you put it in the pan without cooking oil and a spatula? You do not get pancakes. What you get is, well, it's something different, right? And it's not all that great, I'm telling you. Um, so, so it's important that you outfit yourself well, right? That you're prepared. And that's the picture uh, here, that God has thought through fully everything that you need to do His will and be successful. And He's given you every, absolutely everything good to accomplish His purpose and will in your life. And we think about doing God's will, you know, one of the first things that we think of are the financial or material resources. And certainly that's included in the everything good. God 
God resources you. And, and, and here's a promise for us. God never calls you to ministry, calls you to serve Him, calls you to be a missionary, calls you to anything, and then says, oh, but you're on your own. I'm not giving you anything to, to, to sustain you or provide your care for you. Right? If God calls you, if we are walking in His will, we can be absolutely confident that He is going to provide everything you need. Doesn't mean he's not going to do it and stretch your faith along the way, right? Because what we really want, what we don't want is the provision. What we want is the certainty of his provision for the next 50 years, right? I want, I want my support at a place where I know I've got cushions and buffers and I'm good for, like, till I die. God doesn't always promise to do that. Sometimes he does. But he does promise to every day give you exactly what you need, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be uh, provided for you will be given to you, and so so that's at one level. But it goes even beyond that to not just the physical and material things we need to do as well, but to even the wisdom and knowledge of knowing what His will is. And He promises that He will provide everything, all the wisdom, the insight, the ideas, the understanding, the knowledge, uh, to do everything that He's called you to, everything that is His will. Uh, he will give us wisdom to know how to walk and live life in His presence and to live life uh, carrying out fully His mission that He's called us to. Um, so He equips us uh, to do His will. But then He says, not only does He equip us, but He, he goes on and He says, um, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Uh, by, by working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. So in other words, God equips us, He outfits us with all the stuff we need, but then he, he takes it one more step and he actually works in us, um, empowering us, giving us strength and power and the ability by his working, not ours, to actually carry it out. Uh, I learned this was a little lesson leading backpack trips as well. I could think of absolutely everything. I could equip those little 13-year-olds with everything they needed for backpacking and uh, but that did not guarantee that 400 yards down the trail on the first day they were going, well, I'm tired and I don't think I can do this, right? Because having the gear and the equipment doesn't give you the strength or power. Those are two separate things. And, and, and here God promises to do both. Right? Not only to equip us with all that we need, but actually to work in us, to transform us, to change us, to empower us, so that by His inward working we have the power an ability and strength to do His will. Right? He doesn't just give us ideas, but He transforms our mind to grasp those ideas. He changes our hearts so that in our will, we want to do His will. We want to submit to Him. We want to follow Him. And that is a result of His working in us. Uh, and, and here's an important lesson for doing God's will. God's will is never something that God just instructs us to do and then we do it on our own. Okay? God's will never works that way. Ultimately, God's will is something that God himself works in us to the, the accomplishment of. Right? He works it out by his own working in us. Um, he's used the image here of a race, of crossing the finish line, of getting to the end, of... of, of persevering to the end. And here's the reality. Nobody will get to the end. Nobody will get to heaven, cross the finish line, and say, look what I did. Isn't it awesome how I served God and I saved the world and I 
overcame sin and I became a holy person by my amazing ability. No one's going to say that. And the person who's trying is going to fall flat on their face and not even get to the finish line. But the person who's successful is the person who's realized that it's only by God working in us that any of this is possible. And so our prayer becomes really a prayer of dependence on Him. That's what's implied in this. God, may you work in us through the power of Christ. We'll see in a minute. The the ability to do this. Because I am weak and I cannot in my own strength and power and determination do your will. Doing God's will is always going to be something that we do as He works it out in us. Um, And I like the phrase he uses here. And he puts these things parallel. He says... uh, God equips you to do His will, working out uh, in us so that we can do what is pleasing in His sight. Uh, And it really gives us insight into what God's will is. God's will is ultimately living a life that pleases Him, that delights Him in everything we do. Uh, And in that respect, uh, people who are successful in doing God's will are people who practice it daily. And here's one of, the, one of our great errors or flaws in our thinking about God's will. We oftentimes think that um, or, or only care or pray about or are concerned about God's will when it's some major life event. You know, the career path or the change or the move to a different country. Or do I stay in Thailand or do I go home? Right? Those big life decisions. And we may go months or years without ever encountering that kind of major crossroad in our life. And so we don't really think much about God's will. That's a huge mistake. God's will is pleasing him in everything we do all day long. And uh, I think it works this way, that those who practice daily what it means to follow Christ will never have a problem when they come to the major crossroads of life. The people who have the problem are the people who uh, haven't been doing God's will every day. They haven't been trying to walk out God's working in them. And all of a sudden they come to a major life decision and they don't know how to make it. Because they haven't been practicing daily. So what is it we practice? Well, he told us in Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, kind of the big big goals, the big things that are his will. He says this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So what's God's will for your life? Well, God's will for your life that you need to practice daily is drawing near to him. Right? God has equipped you and He's working in you to that end. That you would be daily drawing near to Him with full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the first one. Second thing, God's will is that He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. That we would be steadfast in our conviction of all that Jesus has done for us. Third thing, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. If you're going to God's will, meditate on those three things often. And practice those things daily. That's God's will. And if we are doing those things day by day, when the big decisions come, they will be easy. Uh, one last thing. So he, so he says God provides, God, God, God equips us. Secondly, God empowers us. He works in us to give us all the power and resources we need, not only outwardly, but changing us so we can do His will. Um, 
third thing it says that we do this through Jesus. Right? Through Jesus. Um, it is through the work of the cross and the power of his resurrection that we daily can walk in God's will. Uh, through Jesus, who is our great shepherd. And it reminds us that another key principle of doing God's will is that doing God's will means following Jesus as our great shepherd. And here's the thing. Jesus is really good at this. He got to be the great shepherd not because he was kind of an okay shepherd. He got to be the great shepherd because he was good at it. He knows where we are going. And he knows how to lead us. And he does it with great purpose and conviction. Um, As long as we are following Jesus as our great shepherd, we never have to worry if we are doing God's will or not. Because on God's part, he's done everything. So all the things that he's talked about so far in doing God's will are actually all things that, that God does. God is the one who equips us. God is the one who works in us the power to be able to do it. And finally, God gives us a leader who leads us step by step in the process so that we know we can be doing God's will. So here's, the, here's our part. So what do we do? Well, what we have to do is submit to Jesus as our leader. If you want to do God's will, the, the, the thing we need to do is not focus on what God's will is, but to focus on how can I submit and surrender my life and put my life under the authority and rule of Christ. Let's say that again, right? We don't focus on what is God's will. What am I supposed to be doing? Instead, our focus is to surrender to Jesus and allow him to lead us in everything, to be the great shepherd who uh, takes us down this path of God's will. If we're surrendered to him, doing his will is is automatic because he will lead us step by step. And lastly, we do all this, he says, uh, for God's glory. Um, Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And the for whom here probably refers back to God, not not Jesus, but certainly both are included. Um, We do God's will ultimately because God is glorified when when we follow him and do his will. He's glorified when he works out his purpose and plan in us in a way that our life is successful. Uh, here's the good news. God really doesn't want you to fail. Okay? God has an incredible amount invested, in fact, in your success. Jesus' very blood on the cross is invested in your success, in your life fulfilling uh, its purpose as God designed it. Um, and he's given you everything to make it possible. He's equipped you with every good resource. He's working out through his power in your life and heart all that's required so that you can do this. And he sent Jesus to be your shepherd to lead and direct you for his glory. For his glory. Um, but we have to focus on surrendering to him and trusting him. Um, I'm not going to really explain these last verses, but let me just close with them. He gives a final word. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation. We're not sure if we asked him to bear with it because it wasn't as short as he claimed it was or because it was actually kind of a hard word. Like there were some hard things in here. It could be either one of those or both. He says, bear with my sermon, right? Put yourself under it. Submit to, 
to God's Word. Right? And he was preaching here God's Word from the Old Testament and explaining it. And he says, put yourself under the authority of Scripture. Right? It's not, not only my Word, but, but his Word has power because he was preaching Old Testament Scripture. A couple travel plans. He says, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Probably the same Timothy that Paul was Paul's sidekick. Um, <clears throat> And, and apparently was in that circle. So this is probably whoever the author was. Uh, probably not Paul, but certainly one in Paul's circle of relationships. Um, he says, I hope to come with him if, he's, if he comes soon. His hope is to come visit them with Timothy. Uh, those who come from Italy send you greetings. Another really confusing thing in the Greek. It could be either those in Italy send you greetings or those from Italy send you greetings, or those of you in Italy, we send greetings too. I'll let you sort out all that out, but it has something to do with Italians. All right. But the last word is this. last word is this. He says, grace be to you all. He doesn't mean the word all there doesn't mean to you all as a group, but it means to each and every one of you. Right? Grace be to you. And this is really the blessing he leaves them with. Right? May you live daily in God's favor. Right? This God of peace who has invested so much in you being successful. So much in you achieving uh, the pinnacle of what He has created you for. So that your life would radiate His glory. Right? May you know God's favor. That's a great blessing. And really a benediction is, is that it is a speaking a word of blessing over people. And so in his last word, that's why at the end of the service, we try to do that. We try to speak a word of blessing over the congregation as we go out. And he does the same thing. He says, grace be to you as you go out. May God's grace go with you. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Dot O-R-G.